0: Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com/braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn’t have a serious negative effect. We’d love it if you’d run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a 5 star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com trinityradio trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and you found the Christian channel that loves atheists. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about accountability and a biblical example for us to look to as we're considering the topic of people being accountable to each other and Christian accountability and the notion of accountability partners. Now, Don't go away. If this is the only video you have seen from this series, it's fine. It's a standalone video. But this is in a series on the book of Genesis that is a verse by verse through the book of Genesis. And it just so happens that at this very moment, we are in the midst of a scandal in the Christian evangelical world as well-known Christian speaker, preacher and apologist Ravi Zacharias has, um, there's been a report that's come out about all of the um, sexual allegations that seem to have been corroborated. I mean, it seems like Ravi did this. And so what this, there are several things that always happen when this takes place, uh, when a Christian leader falls. Uh, First time I remember hearing about it was even as a child in the 1980s, when people on television, uh, Christian leaders that had television ministries, started to fall into sexual immorality or other kinds of immorality. And one of the things that always happens is the rest of the church, particularly men in the church as it relates to sexual stuff, uh, begin to talk a little bit more about accountability and how can we hold ourselves accountable, how can we partner together with other men and other ministries and within our own ministries create checks and balances such that we can be sure this never happens to us so that we can be accountable and uh, we, don't, we don't fall like this guy fell. And th- this has led to the notion of an accountability partner that is a very popular idea, at least occasionally is a very popular idea when um, something like this happens, everybody talks about it for a while, then they forget about it, and then something else happens, and oh, we gotta be accountable. And um, I think accountability partners are a good idea. I think uh, tools and resources that help you to stay accountable are a good idea. The, the problem with it is, and I think we ought to be pursuing those things and looking for new ways to do it. The problem is um, generally if the person who is seeking to be accountable is, is not already committed to being accountable, then the whole process fails from the jump. For instance, several years ago, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting and in the, in the exhibition hall where they have like different ministries, have their own booths and things like that. And you can uh, check out what they have to offer. One of the new things was a, an app that goes on your computers and on your phones. Um, and you can sign up for this app and you, uh, you, you work it out with some other man. Let's say it's two men. You work it out with some other man and you're going to be accountability partners to make sure that you're not looking at porn or whatever. And so these two men then are able through this app to check and see what is the other guy searching for? What's going on? You know, something like that. It probably had other features, but that was principally the thing. And I thought to myself, I thought, okay, that is a great idea for people that are both going to cooperate in the accountability relationship. But even if person A in the relationship is genuinely committed and wants to do this, If he finds himself in a moment where he is strongly tempted to the point that he would typically fall um, to the temptation and look at some kind of porn, there's nothing preventing him from using some other device or in some way uh, circumventing the app. I mean, there's nothing to stop that. And so uh, what it comes down to is, is this person who is seeking to be in an accountability partner relationship going to remain, going to be faithful to remain accountable? And if he isn't going to be faithful to remain accountable, if he is going to be faithful to remain accountable, then he would have been accountable on his own. And if he's not going to be faithful to be accountable, then what was the point of this whole thing? And so it can be really problematic. Now, I do like the idea because it adds another layer um, to, to this thing. It adds another uh, another little violation you're going to have to make, a violation of your agreement with some other person, one other bit of pressure and uh, that sort of thing to keep you on the straight and narrow with these things. Nevertheless, um, there's an interesting idea that I think can go above and beyond all these things, and it's the notion that you would be accountable to God. I mean, obviously, we're supposed to be accountable to God. The Bible says that every man will give account to God. And if you're accountable to God, well, then, uh, though accountability partners might be helpful, you're a lot less likely to fall if you're going to remain accountable to God. Now, you might be skeptical of my saying that because it has just been a, become a truism that everyone has to have an accountability partner so that we have in the church like this structured hierarchy of accountability partners Um, And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So some of the criticisms and objections that you might raise right from the beginning, I'm going to deal with as we move through this chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 39. But I also want to say that I'm not, again, I want to reaffirm, I'm not against the notion of accountability or accountability partners. I think that we ought to be having them and looking for new ways to be accountable. I'm just saying that ultimately, if a person... Is, is not walking with the Lord and seeking to walk with him daily, then no amount of accountability checks and balances are ever going to do it. And so we just need to be realistic about that. But there's a solution, and that's that you be accountable to God. Now, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 39. And for those of you that have, are already familiar with the story, this is the story where Joseph is um, propositioned by his master's wife, Potiphar's wife. And uh, does not fall for this, but every single day she keeps pressuring him. And ultimately, she accuses him of attempting to sexually assault her or rape her or whatever. And he's thrown into prison. Now, um, there is, as this is a commentary on the book of Genesis, where we want to... Um, deal with apologetic material when it's necessary. So if there's something that skeptics say about a passage of the Bible, we want to provide some sort of a, a perspective on that in this, in this commentary on Genesis. And so uh, there, this is actually a place where that can happen because in the ancient Egyptian texts, there is a story that some people think is um, that the story of Joseph in this particular, in Genesis chapter 39, is just kind of ripping off or parodying this story. And uh, that story is called The Tale of Two Brothers, uh, Anubis and Bata. And I'm going to try to summarize basically for you what happens in that story, because while there are a couple of places where you can kind of, if you squint your eyes and cross your fingers and turn your head sideways, you can kind of see how someone would parallel these two. But it's not, I mean, there's really only a couple of details that really fit. And the rest of it is bizarrely different from the story of Joseph in such a way that it's hard to see why someone would, um, think that they could get the allegation through that Joseph, the Joseph story is just ripping off this story. So in the story of the Tale of Two Brothers, basically what happens is you've got two, you've got two brothers, and uh, this is different than this. Uh, this is a little bit different than well. So the two brothers in, in the story of two brothers, the brothers, if we're going to parallel the story of Joseph, would be the parallel of Joseph and his master, who is not his brother Potiphar. So already we see a pretty Substantial difference. If you were ripping this off, why not just go ahead and make them brothers in some way? We've got plenty of brothers in the story of Joseph to pick from, right? But um, anyway, so you've got these two brothers that represent Joseph and Potiphar. If we're making the parallel, and in the story of two brothers, the tale of two brothers, uh, the the younger brother is goes out and he's 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 uh, you know working in the farm. It's an it's that's another difference. It's an agricultural sort of setup, and he's dealing with all those sorts of things. He comes back and his brother's uh wife is there and he asks her to get for him some some more seed and he and she won't do it and so he goes to do it himself and as he's lifting these bags of seed um she basically looks at him and recognizes that he's brad pitt i mean he's he's gorgeous she wants uh to see if maybe he'll sleep with her for an hour and in fact it does specify have adultery with me for an hour And so um, so and he won't do it. And uh, in this case, she goes. So after he leaves, she eats a bunch of grease and fat to make herself sick. And then when her husband shows up, she says, your brother tried to rape me. Basically, that's the parallel, really. And so there's nothing about a cloak. There's nothing about a day-after-day sort of thing, as far as I recall. Um, and she eats this grease and fat and makes herself sick. And if I'm getting some of the details wrong, sorry about that, but it's basically right. And so uh, the brother goes out to pursue uh, Bata, who has, who has this allegation against him. And he, but Bata is, is uh, tipped off to this because one of his cows actually starts talking and tells him and warns him about what's going to happen. And so the brother is coming after him and he runs away. And as he's running away, um, he prays. And one of these gods creates uh, like like special creation, uh, instantaneously creates an alligator pond between he and his brother as they're chasing as his brother's chasing after him. So that stands between he and his brother and all these alligators in there. And so the the brother makes the allegation and, and and Bata says, no, this is not true. And in fact, in demonstration that it's not true, he actually castrates himself with a knife that he has. He cuts his genitals off, throws them into the pond, and a catfish swallows them up. And uh, then he goes off somewhere or whatever. So you, you can tell that this is a wildly different story. The only similarity that's there is uh, the allegation that an innocent man tried to rape a woman. Or sleep with a woman, and you might think, well, that's substantial, and okay, fair enough. There's that similarity, but if that's what you're hanging your whole case on, that's pretty weak to hang your whole case on. So I, I hope that that's enough to, to to familiarize you with it. You can check those things out on your own if you like and uh, go a bit further. But um, that's that's the that's basically what's going on with the tale of two brothers. So let's get back to Joseph, and let's keep in mind what's going on culturally right now in the evangelical world with Ravi Zacharias and even a couple of other people who have fallen into some kind of moral impropriety or, or another. And let's uh, let's consider accountability and how all that works as we look at the story of Joseph. In chapter 39, verse 1, it says, Now Joseph... Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and by the way, this is picking up from chapter 37, right? You'll recall that in chapter 37, we got to this point, and then chapter 38 was an aside to talk about Judah and the the whole scandal that took place there, and now we're in chapter 39. We're picking up the story. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he owned. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house on account of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph in charge of everything that he owned and with him there, He did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, um, it's important to note a couple of things here. First of all, notice that he's been left completely in charge of everything uh, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is a high-ranking official in Egypt, and now Joseph has quickly risen to the top of the food chain in his household, basically. And so he's he's become very prosperous. The, Joseph is obviously a very impressive man. We saw that he outshined all of his brothers, it seems. It, it, we, we see now that he has risen to the top of the food chain in Potiphar's house. We'll see later that even in prison, he rises to the top of that hierarchy in prison and is in charge of every other prisoner and everything that goes on in the prison. So this is a very impressive uh, man. And, and as a result of that, or, or part of that, part of the reason for that is that God is blessing what He's doing. And the Egyptians take note of that. Potiphar recognizes that and capitalizes on that. He, he sees what's going on. He sees that there's something different about Joseph. Joseph's not like every other slave I've ever had. This, this guy, what he touches turns to gold. We've got to recognize that. And that's an important thing to, to notice about uh, Joseph. We're going to come back to that in uh, just a few moments. Now verse two and three, do indicate that central to all the success that Joseph had is Yahweh. But this raises an interesting thing. God wasn't just blessing Joseph, He was blessing what Joseph was diligently doing. And that's an important thing. I mean, you know, as, as a you know, if I were a Calvinist, uh, for those of you that don't know, Calvinists are Christians who are compatibilists when it comes to free will. And so they would say that a consistent Calvinist would say that whatever you do, um, you're free in the sense that you do whatever you want to do. What you're doing is what you chose to do. It's what you wanted to do. But uh, your, your choice, your wants, the things that you want flow from your nature that you don't have any control over. And ultimately, that's in a, that that goes into a chain that goes back to God such that God is uh, the determiner of all things. My friend Chris State likes the analogy for this kind of determinism. Uh, of an author of a book. God's like authoring the story so that the characters in the story in any particular story feel free. They would say, I mean, if you could talk to the characters in the story, right? They would say, no, I'm free. I'm doing whatever I want. But what they don't know is that everything they're doing has been crafted in this storybook by God. Now, I don't hold to that sort of understanding of free will. I hold to what is called libertarian freedom, and that is the notion that whatever you end up doing, you could have done otherwise, or at the very least, nothing external to you determines what you do, determines your actions. And so um, I, don't, I don't take this position, but if I took a Calvinist position, um, then I could say, well, yeah, God determined everything that Joseph would do, and by doing that, it would be blessed. God, God made sure it was blessed. He was determining everything. As a person who uh, affirms the, the more robust understanding of free will that I affirm, what, what I think is important here is God is blessing what Joseph is doing, but if Joseph had freely chosen just to, to be a dirtbag, basically, and, or to be lazy or to uh, sin or wh- whatever else he, he might have chosen to do, um, the, he, he could, for example, uh, let's say that Joseph killed himself well, then there's no one acting there for God to bless. Or if he just hadn't done what God wanted, there's, then there's no opportunity for God to bless what he's doing to accomplish God's plans if he's not also diligently serving God and acting. And so you say, well, does that mean that God is bound by what, man, what men do? Well, no, because God has no shortage of godly men and God could find some other man or raise up some other man to, to that, that would do the right thing and then God could bless those actions. But the important thing I want you to keep in mind is here is that we need to make sure that we are diligently serving um, in the way that God wants and the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord and God uh, will choose to accomplish his goals through what we're doing if we're serving him. Um, I, You know, this is a really big, crass simple simplistic example of this and I don't even know if it's actually what's going on in my own life but um, I'm trying to lose weight and uh, one of the things that I've that I've made a part of my everyday prayer life is that God would help me in my plan to lose weight but I have a realistic understanding that God um, God rewards diligence and so I, I don't think that God's just snap my fingers one day like I dream of genie or wiggle my nose I guess as I dream of genie and suddenly I'm going to be you know, thin and look like Jason Statham or something. Instead, uh, I recognize that it's going to require work on my part, but in praying, perhaps God will increase conviction in my life, increase my awareness and those sorts of things. My self-control, I pray for that all the time. One of the things I've specifically prayed for in that regard is that God would wake me up or help me to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Now, I have an alarm, but sometimes I sleep through my alarm and sometimes I don't turn on my alarm and Um, And and sometimes I wake up and turn off the alarm. So so I need self-control in this. But without an alarm uh, for several days in a row now, I have woken up at five o'clock to go work out. That has successfully happened. Now, for those of you who are skeptics out there, you can say, well, that's that's, you know, often there's a phenomenon that we know of where you think about, oh, I'd like to wake up at this particular time. And lo and behold, you wake up a minute before your alarm goes off or something. And that does seem to be a strange phenomenon that happens with people. But um, to my for my money, I think that, that God is helping me in some way and helping me to, to wake up on time. Uh, the thing is, if I don't then get out of bed. <laughs> then I'm not going to lose weight. So I think God is, God is blessing, but I have to be diligent in order for the blessing to uh, reach its fulfillment, you see. So I think that it's important, to, like my father always used to put it this way, you ought to work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. Obviously, everything ultimately always depends on God. But I think this is an interesting way to think about it. And uh, Joseph was a man who was working like it all depended on him, but trusting God. And the story is clear that God uh, was with him what God was with him, Yahweh was with him. And that is an important phrase that God was there with him in the midst of this. And that's ultimately why he was successful. So I think those are some important things to remember as we look at this. And notice how Potiphar clearly trusted Joseph greatly because he doesn't ever, (coughs) excuse me, He, he doesn't even check up on him. He doesn't even know what's going on in his house. He just completely trusts Joseph. He can tell that Joseph is a man of great integrity. Joseph is a man that can be trusted. And Joseph is responsible, and that's a that's that's uh, the kind of man I want to be. That's that's the kind of person you want to be. Um, now, uh, think about how God has blessed him in this position, according to the uh, commentary, critical and explanatory by Robert Jameson, um It, it they say this about being him, his being in charge of his master's house like this. Those slaves who had been war captives were generally sent to labor in the field and subjected to hard treatment under the quote-unquote stick of taskmasters. But those who were bought with money were employed in domestic, per, for, in domestic purposes were kindly treated and enjoyed as much liberty as the same class does in modern Egypt. Now, we see this in the story, but there's the historical background for you. This kind of an individual was not out working in a field under the labor of the sun like like you might expect. This is a man who would have had fine clothes. He would have eaten the best food. You can't have your slave that's working in your household looking like a slob, and so he would have had great clothes, great food. And as far as those things go, a comfortable situation. And he would ha- he would have enjoyed, as they say here historically, the privileges of, of someone of his class in in modern uh, Egypt. In, I'm sorry, in Egypt of the, at the same time. And so he um, he he. Uh, this was not a bad situation. So God had not just blessed him, in the fact that he wasn't treated badly. He was actually treated good, really good. So this is a great, this is a great place. Steve Gregg puts it like this. He was almost like an executive who was managing a company or an estate. And of course, how he was managing it was making a lot of money for the estate or for the company. So you can imagine he's the guy you'd see with a nice suit in the modern world and driving around in a fancy car and and making business transactions. I mean, he was doing a real good job uh, at the time in his day. Um, and this is another great point from Steve Gregg. He makes a great point that those Joseph was serving in the role of a steward. It doesn't call him a steward, but that's what he was. Someone who takes care of stuff for somebody else that's somebody else's stuff. None of this was his stuff. None of this was his. He didn't really own anything. He was technically a slave, even though he wouldn't have looked like a slave, and he probably didn't feel much like a slave. Um, that, that's what he was, and so he didn't own anything. And this is the New Testament context for what we are as believers. There are some Christians that are very wealthy. There are some Christians that have uh, nice stuff and live comfortable lives. But the Christian message is that, um, that, that that's not your stuff. You're a steward for God's stuff. And if God wants that stuff, you better be willing to give that stuff to him in whatever way he deems fit. So that's an interesting uh, New Testament correlation there, I think. So, all right, let's move on. Um, now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Who, uh, let's see, and it came to pass after these events that his master's wife had her eyes on Joseph and she said, sleep with me, or depending on your translation, lie with me. So she was basically saying, have sex with me. This this is a very straightforward woman. Um, And she puts it quite bluntly here, and it well may well be that this was something she had done before with other servants in the past. She may merely have seen Joseph as an object in her household, a, a piece of property for her, and to do with whatever she wanted. That, that could well be. The, I mean, to put it as bluntly as she does and to come straight forward with it like this, it sounds like she's done it before. I, I, maybe we're not getting a fully orbed picture of the situation, but uh, she seemed pretty comfortable asking that question. And um, of course, this is a case of the objectification of men. But in verse eight, it says, but he refused and said to his master's wife. Now, now I want you to notice what it says here. And what I want you to notice, and I'm not the first to point it out. Many people have pointed this out. But this, this, when I first heard this, it, this alone revolutionized my walk with Christ and how I thought about my relationship with Christ and my relationship with the one true God, because as we're walking through this, this won't make much sense until you read it, but, but. You expect him to say, how could I do such a thing to my master Potiphar? But that's not what he says. He says, how could I do this to God? How could I sin against God? Watch what it it says and watch how it seems to be ramping up to, how could I do this to my master Potiphar? Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put me in charge of all that he owns. There is no one greater in the house than I and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against my master Potiphar? But that's not what it says. It says, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? That's what he says. Now, that is a very, very different concept. I mean, notice in verses eight and nine, he refuses. To, we're going to read it again, but I want you to notice how much emphasis he's putting on Potiphar. Look with me here. My master, he's talking about his master, does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put me in charge of all that he owns. There is no greater in this house, that's his house, the master's house, than I. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As you're walking through this, it's, I wonder if it was an, um, if the authority, uh, um, authorial intent here was to intentionally flip it on its head because as it's ramping up again you expect him to, to look at all these good things that potiphar has done and how he trusts me how could i then sin against him but he doesn't he's how could i sin against god i think you've got the point but here's the important thing about that is that and this comes to the point of accountability and this is something that ravi if he knew and i'm sure he did know i wish had recognized And I hope I always remember it and recognize it. And it's this. Joseph at this point is probably 17 years old. All right. This is a man with hormones raging. And here he is among these pagans. And he is with probably a beautiful woman. This Potiphar is high up in the, in the social network and the hierarchy of Egypt So he probably would have had a very beautiful wife because let's face it, unfortunately, whether this sounds politically correct or not, this is an ancient place in ancient time. And she was, she was in many ways a prop. She was window dressing. She, she's eye candy. And um, so, so here's this beautiful woman. He's there alone with her. No one else is in the house and she propositions him and he resists. Now, why didn't he, how could this even happen? How did this moment even emerge? Where was Joseph's accountability partner? Why didn't he visit with his accountability partner about this? Well, if we're talking about someone, another worshiper of the one true God that he was going to work with to make sure that he and that accountability partner stayed faithful, there wasn't one. The people of God were far away. Here he is in this society alone, 17 years old. And by the way, had every excuse. I mean, arguably, this woman is an authority over him. It's the wife of his master. She certainly has more right to what's in the home than he does. And he's a slave. He is property to her. So whatever she wants. He could easily justify this. He could easily rationalize this. I I couldn't help it. I had to, I had to do what I had to do to survive. You know, he could, he could have easily done all of that, but he doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? He tells us why he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it because of his accountability to God. How could I sin against God? He recognizes what is implicit throughout the chapter. No, it's, it's not implicit. It's explicit. The author tells us the Lord is with him. Yahweh was with him. He, he, he was successful because of what Yahweh was doing with him. And the, the thing is, he recognizes that it's not Potiphar who's just done all this for him. God has done all this for him. God has, has blessed him in this way. Now, there's another reason this is important. If, it was, if, if he were to say, how could I sin against Potiphar? How could I do something to uncool to Potiphar here? That would, she could have argued with that and maybe won an argument. For example, uh, back to Steve Gregg again, he points out, hey, it could be that Potiphar, if he's working with Pharaoh, there were harems and things like that. And uh, a man of that high status may well have been a eunuch. Um, and so, so the sex wasn't even on the table for him. So if he's a eunuch, maybe, he does, maybe his wife really is a prop. And wh- what does he care who she's sleeping with? maybe uh, maybe if, if it's just well I, how could I do this to Potiphar perhaps she could have argued well Potiphar's never going to find out about this I won't tell him obviously you're not going to tell him um you know that there could have been some some way of arguing uh, about this the Egyptians were were promiscuous people and he could she could have she could have said this is just how we function you know <laughs> but there's nothing like that there's there's nothing like that there's no argument that can be made because while, there, while you could perhaps make an argument, a carnal argument, albeit an argument that would convince some people, if the answer was, how could I sin against Potiphar? If, if what you're saying is, how could I sin against God? Well, there's no arguing with that. There's no arguing with that. He's God. I can't sin against God. And also notice Joseph is passionate not passionate about having sex with Potiphar's wife. Passionate about a plan that he sees unfolding in his life from God. He's seen the dreams about it. He, he doesn't have all the answers, but he knows God's up to something. God has delivered me to this place. He's done all this for me. I'm passionate about what God's doing, and, um, and I'm, I, I'm committed to that. Now, that is an amazing thing. And I think it goes to show that here's a man separated from all of God's people, and yet he's faithful. Without an accountability partner, it would have been great if he had had one. I, again, I don't th- I'm not saying that accountability partners are bad. I think they're good. But this demonstrates, I think, the power of my highest accountability partner. The one I'm really interested in pleasing is God. And if that's the case, then you're going to be whole. If you're just accountable to a man or to another woman, if you're a woman, then you're going to be a lot more likely to sin or to fall than you would be if you're accountable to God, because God's there all the time. This sounds really basic and like something you'd hear from uh, a pastor or a youth pastor, but it's true. And it is, think about the things that you do on a daily basis. Think about the sins that so easily beset you in your own life and ask yourself, could I do that if Jesus was right there with me? Uh, could G- would Jesus participate in whatever it is that I'm doing? That, and I'm not just talking, obviously I'm not just talking about the sins that are represented in the story. I'm talking about whatever it is. Perhaps you're a, a stay-at-home mom and for ye- and, or, or a student or somebody like that. Perhaps you're a person that works in a cubicle and um, you're, you feel like a cog in the machine of a business that is faceless to you. Uh, if you're any of those people, d- is laziness an issue for you? Nobody's really going to find out. It's fine. I'm going to go ahead and just sit here and play Candy Crush or whatever it is. I mean, I mean, that obviously seems like a far less sin than what's represented here in this passage, and no doubt. I'm just saying we all have these failings, these issues in our lives. Think about your life for a minute, and maybe you want to pause this video right now and prayerfully consider it in your own life. What is it in my life? Is there something like this that I wouldn't be cool trying to explain to Jesus? Maybe I've rationalized it, but I know that it. if I'm accountable to God, it's a whole different ballgame than if I'm accountable just to my school or my job or my husband or my wife or whatever. I'm accountable to God. That changes the game considerably. Now, um, Look at verse ten. It says, "Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her." So every single day this is happening. This is not just once. This is every day he's got to face this temptation. Every day, um, every single day she's 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 working on him. She's she's wearing him down. Now I'm not a like um, I'm not like a. I've taken multiple counseling classes, but I'm not a counselor. But I wonder if this would be seen today in a sexually predatory sort of way, something like the grooming of someone. It's certainly sexual harassment. Uh, but, but she's trying to wear him down day after day. And um, how, how, how long can he resist? Ultimately, when will he fall? Joseph is not perfect. Um, but when will he fall? Would he have fallen? Well, we don't really know because God kind of gets him out of this situation. You might think, well, no, 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 Potiphar and his wife scheme and, and ruin his situation. Maybe, but we'll get there in, in just a moment. But, but, I, but I want you to think about this for a moment. For a lot of men, and you know, the majority of my audience, I, I'm always, I love the fact that we have a number of women who watch uh, Trinity Radio. And I'm so glad for you because you're some of the best encouragements that, that we have. But um, the majority of our audience, according to YouTube analytics, is males between 18 and 35 years old. And in that demographic, pornography is a big problem. And of course, unmarried men uh, dating women. And so fornication can be a big problem, even among Christians. And so uh, think about that, because in a certain sense, you face something not entirely unlike the situation that Joseph is in. Now it's not physical sex, necessarily. Maybe it is with a girlfriend. Uh, and, and I should speak to young women too, and, and people of every age, but, but you know, in this portion of your life where you're likely unmarried, I actually advocate for getting married young. I'm not pushing that on you. That's not in the Bible. that's just the, you know, the Braxton International version here. But um, I got married when I was 20 years old. My goal was to find my goal in dating was not to have fun. My goal in dating was to find the person that I'm supposed to marry and marry her. That was the goal. Um, And I did pretty well did that. And I married her at 20 years old. And, you know, um, sexuality, you know, once you once you're married, have all you want, you know, that's within the marriage. Right. Have all you want. But um, but so but you face something akin to that with uh, the person you're dating or with pornography. I mean, we, we have these phones in our pockets all the time. And anytime you're alone, you can just pop that thing out, and 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 there's a temptation to look at sexual acts or nudity or or what, whatever. And so every single day, like Joseph facing this temptation every day, every single day. And in your case, it doesn't even necessarily involve. Uh, there's not even necessarily another person who knows about it, and and you're able and you could do that, and and get away with it. How long can you resist? Um, it, you're gonna let, you're gonna resist a lot longer if if you're focused, if you're doing this, you, can't, you won't sin against God rather than I won't sin against my wife or my girlfriend or uh, my parents or whatever it is. And imagine, but in this case, imagine with Joseph, if someone who, again, is arguably an authority over you, his master's wife, is actually pushing you to, to do this thing every single day, as I said before, when it comes to sexual sin, and of course this is probably true of any sin that you, that, you, that you really want to engage in, that there, it's, it's real tempting. I mean, any excuse is a great rationalization. It could be something that in a sober moment you would definitely not see as a good excuse, that you know your pastor wouldn't see as a good excuse. But in that moment, it's good enough because you're in a cloud and you're not thinking clearly and this would have been a great excuse. Ah, what am I going to do? She's I, I know all these I'm a slave here. I know all these people aren't Yahweh worshipers. And here I am. And I got to do what she says. But he doesn't do it. No accountability partner. Um, so he goes to jail, which spiritually speaking, though, that's a worse situation in almost every other way. Might have been the best thing to happen to him, frankly. Right. I mean it takes him out of the pressure of that temptation. This could have been a deliverance from God because perhaps God knows that 10 more times or one more time and he would have fallen. I don't know. I'm not putting that on Joseph. I don't know. But Joseph, though Joseph has many parallels with Jesus, and we're going to talk about that in the videos to come, Joseph was not Jesus, and all have seen him fallen short of the glory of God. So how long could he go? I don't know. But but God got him out from under that pressure. Um And that's interesting. All right, let's look at verse 11. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the people of the household were there inside. So she grabbed him by his garment, saying, Sleep with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make fun of us. He came to me to sleep with me and screamed. Um, when he heard that i raised my voice uh, and i screamed when he heard that i raised my voice and screamed he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside first first of all once you knows she says hebrew there which was a derogatory term but what's great is later hebrews in israel once israel was in the land would have heard that and the story would have a sense of justice to it that Hebrews were being spoken of in a derogatory way, and and yet now they had their own nation, and <clears throat> it had all come out of the history they had had with the Egyptians and everything else. Uh, but this here's the thing: this clearly ticked her off. Okay, on this particular day, she'd had enough. Maybe it was the way he did it, the way he said it. That maybe it was just one too many times. But she's ticked. Because how do I know she's ticked? Because she goes and tells her husband, and. In doing so, she cuts off any further future opportunity to try and seduce him. I mean, because she probably thinks he's going to be killed for this. Maybe not. Maybe she knows that the practice is to put him in prison, but the evidence doesn't indicate that, as we're going to look at in a moment. But but she's cutting off all future opportunities to sleep with Joseph. And she's. I think that the best explanation is that she's, she's had it up to here, and she's mad. And uh, so— she, uh, verse 16, so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then, uh, then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave, there it is again, whom you brought to us came in to me to make fun of me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and he fled outside. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. Okay, now, um, here's an interesting question. Did Potiphar believe his wife? Well, yeah, he threw Joseph into prison right? Well, he's angry. It does say he's angry, but is he angry at Joseph or is he angry at his wife? A couple of considerations here as you're thinking through that. It says that he put him in the king's prison and he didn't kill him. Now, in the uh, uh, IVP Bible background commentary of the Old Testament, they say this, one indication of Potiphar's understanding of the affair between Joseph and his wife maybe in the choice of prison rather than being executed for rape as dictated in, for instance, the middle Assyrian laws. So the, the law codes that we're aware of would say that he, he had to be killed for this. What slave is going to attempt to rape his master's wife and not be killed for this? Why didn't he kill him? Well, it could be that Potiphar doesn't believe his wife. Further, they go on to say, Joseph was put into a royal prison holding political prisoners. This may have been a bit more comfortable as prisons go. This is like the Martha Stewart prison where she went kind of thing. But more importantly, it will put him in contact with members of Pharaoh's court, and that's going to come up in the next chapter again. But, but so, this, so he doesn't put him in like the worst prison. He puts him in the prison where um, political dignitaries would have been put you know, other kings of other countries or whatever. He's being held there. And this is, um, this is not the worst situation, probably. So why do that if you believe your wife? Further, don't you think that Potiphar probably knows the character of his wife? We already know that he knows the character of Joseph. When he, when he goes to Joseph, because uh, it doesn't tell us in the text, but surely he asked Joseph, what do you have to say for yourself? Joseph, who he knows to be a man of high character, says, probably says something like, I didn't do it. It's not true. And, you know, I, I, I know the characters of people in my life that I spend time with every single day well enough that you can kind of eyeball what happens. You know, I've got two daughters and they, they are both wonderful girls. They both make mistakes. And depending on what the issue is, I can hear them describe it to me. And I'm not saying that I have like perfect precision here. But once i hear both sides of it one from each daughter i can kind of tell what happened based on my knowledge of how they have responded in the past you don't think that potiphar knew this about his wife and so i think this evidence is that he and her. he didn't buy this he didn't buy it uh verse 21 says but the lord was with joseph and extended con- oh and by the way th- now here's an interesting thing if you're a skeptic out there who just wants to take issue with everything in the bible you might say something like, well, Braxton, come on, you're, you're, you're psychoanalyzing these characters too much. They're not real characters. It's all made up. Uh, and as you read the story, she tells her husband and he throws him in prison because he's angry. That's what happened. Don't pick it apart too much. It's just an old story. If you're that person and you're also the person who wants to say that this is ripped off from The Tale of Two Brothers then there would be a conflict there because in the tale of two brothers, it actually turns out that the wife was lying and the brother came to believe that the wife was lying. So, uh, you know, you pick your battle there, skeptic. But the fact is, I I don't believe it's ripped off from the tale of two brothers. And I don't believe that Potiphar believed his wife based on how he treated Joseph subsequently. Uh, I guess another way to look at this uh, would be to say, regardless of whatever Potiphar believed, God just worked in his heart um, the right outcome. That's a possibility, but um, I, I, both can be true, right? It could be the case that Potiphar um, didn't believe his wife and and put Joseph in this Martha Stewart-style prison uh, because of what God was doing. You know, that, that could be true, too. Now, here's the thing. Uh, so he, so did I read this already? Let's look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden of the prison. And, he, and the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The warden of the prison did not supervise anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made whatever he did prosper. So it really is true. You can't keep a good man down here. He went to the top of the status among his brothers. He went to the top of the status among, uh, Potiphar's household. Now he's come to the top of the food chain, even in the prison so that he's in charge of all the other prisoners. He's in charge of everything that goes on and nobody even checks up on him. I mean, this is, this is, um, amazing, (laughs) amazing. What's going on here? Uh, this story illustrates, I think, something about character and integrity, and it gives us something that both men and women can shoot for as the ideal. Now, you, you may never hit the ideal, and obviously, as I said before, Joseph was not sinless. So, I mean, we, w- whether we're told about any particular failing, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And we, we, need to, we need to recognize that. But at the same time, he does give us an ideal to shoot for. Of character and integrity even when you're not around accountability partners even when you're not around other believers um, even when you have good excuses this, this man stayed true are you doing that are you doing that with the issues in your life even when no one's looking because one thing the internet has done for us is it has made it where things can happen when no one's looking and that's important you know I want to reaffirm again, because I don't want anyone to skip through this video and miss that I've said it. In light of what's happened with Ravi Zacharias and others like that, I think that organizations should take a hard look at how they ensure that the people in their organization are being faithful and not abusing power and uh, stealing funds and and doing things like that. We we need new ways to do that. We We need to brainstorm that. In our personal lives, if there are um, electronic resources or strategies that help us to uh, that serve as another layer against uh, the sins that, that we fall into, then we should, we should innovate those. We should take advantage of those. That's true. But when I was the president of the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists in, um, I guess, actually it was just before I became president, 2008-2009, uh, there was an evangelist in the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists who had who had had a moral failing. He had had an eight month long affair and was preaching during that time. You know, carrying on these revivals and crusades and evangelistic events and things like that. And so because that happened, like I said, it's, it's a cycle. So, so somebody fell. So now everybody was, oh, we got to be accountable. And so within the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists, that year at our, at our annual conference where we got together, it, it was all we talked about. You know, it, you've got to have an accountability partner. And so when you go travel, if it's at all possible, you guys, especially you young guys, you need to uh, take another man with you on the road. If your wife's not going, take another man with you so that, so that you have accountability. So for, you know, maybe a few months, I did that. I have a friend, Drew, and, and Drew went with me and he traveled with me. It was fun. We had a lot of fun because 90% of my ministry traveling, I was completely alone. Um, And and he went with me. And, I you know, I guess he was there in the car with me. He was there in the hotel room with me. I guess that served as a layer of accountability, but. For 90% of the time, as I say, I had no, no, I didn't have an accountability partner like that. Um, I was accountable to God. And yet we had a guy in the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists that this scandal was about who had been sleeping around and he had a driver that drove with him. He had an RV. And this guy would drive the RV and, and he would sleep and, and in the back, you know, he'd, so that's on the way to the next place to preach. And um, e- even though he had that driver, he, he was able to indulge in an eight month affair with a woman in another city. Now, so here you have a guy who has the quote unquote accountability that we're looking for, that we're saying everyone needs to have, and he has an affair. I've never had an affair, and I was just accountable to God. Now, I'm not saying, look how great I am. I could mess up too. I don't, I don't suspect, Lord help me, I don't suspect I'll ever fall in that way. But, but, you know, the point is that though I think it's good, it's a good benefit to have those things. Your first and foremost accountability is to God. And I challenge you to think about what it is in your life that you've not been faithful about, could be a big thing like sexual sin um, or or bad business deal or, you know, who knows. Could be a seemingly small thing like um, laziness or a white lie that you tell about some things or I don't know. You know, you know yourself better than I do and ask yourself how you should deal with that. What should you do? Because you should do something and you maybe nobody else knows about it, but God knows. And like Joseph, we should find ourselves saying, how could I do this thing and sin against God after all he's done for me? Hope you've enjoyed this, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.